You are Locked On Pirates, your daily Pittsburgh Pirates podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to Locked On Pirates. And during the month of March, here at the Locked On Sports Network, your team every day, I will be a part of Division Day every Wednesday, hosting episodes with the other podcast hosts from the NL Central. And today's episode is brought to you with an awesome guest in Cincinnati Reds, Locked On Reds host Jeff Carr. I hope you guys enjoy the episode and have an awesome Wednesday. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy today's episode. All right, for today's Locked On Reds and for today's Locked On Pirates, because this is a crossover, I have with me, joining me, the host of the Locked On Pirates podcast. He is Ethan Smith. He knows all things Pittsburgh. I'm your man, Jeff Carr. I know all things Cincinnati Reds. Let's talk about Reds Pirates here on today's crossover day. Ethan, first of all, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. I uh, kind of feel like this is Game of Thrones-esque. Like, I feel like I'm like the enemy walking into uh, enemy lines, just coming in here just to have a casual conversation about baseball. I love it, though. I mean, I mean, we're definitely going to get to fries on sandwiches here in a minute. But when it comes to baseball over the last two years, between the Reds and the Pirates, it's been very interesting. Like, when you look at 2020, I, I've said this 100 million times. It's a weird year. It's hard to evaluate on its own. The Reds were seven and three against the Pirates. When you look at 2019, the Reds were seven and 12 against the Pirates. So that's uh, 15 and 14 in favor of the guys, the Buckos, over the last two years. In fact, the Pirates scored 100 runs against the Reds in 2019. Your thoughts? Sorry, my internet was just messing up a little bit. But um, I mean, that's like. Okay. We talked about this before the podcast started. I mean, you have to take into the account that these teams were definitely rivals. We saw it with like the the bench brawls and everything. So when you're and realistically, both teams were not great either. That was one thing that was mentioned a lot is like these two teams were kind of taking their aggression out on each other in terms of like just how their performance was against everyone else. But I mean, being having any winning record against any team, even if it's 15 and 14 or even 14 and 14, if you're playing 500 against a team, you're playing good baseball against that team because that means you're winning series against that team. And again, we talked about this beforehand. I think the Pirates could do this to one of the NL Central teams this year, just like not necessarily have a winning record against that team, but like one of those wins that they get, if it's like, let's say the Brewers or the Cardinals, for example, we go in there and we're like 10 and like 13 or 14 against them. I don't remember how many times we play. That could be the difference between the Reds winning the NL Central or not winning the NL Central. Like that's really how it is as a Pirates fan this year. But I mean, I don't take too much stock into it, with especially with the 2020 deal, which is like why I like 2019 stats a lot more. But I do think a lot of that record factors into just the two teams being so familiar with each other to the point of hatred almost but I think the hatred also spells into more of like a respect for the teams like yeah we're both in kind of weird spots like talking about 2019 we're not really winning games etc we're just going to play competitive baseball because we're not going to be playing it in October so I that's how I feel about it 
think the Reds Pirates relationship has always been one of, especially like Reds Pirates fans relationship has always been one of, well, both of our teams were really good like 40 years ago. So, and now we're trying to figure out what winning baseball looks like in Mm -hmm. this brand new century that neither team has really done a lot in. So whenever they get together, there is that fiery passion, like you said, and especially over the last couple of years, the Reds and the Pirates have seen a lot of fluctuation in who's on the roster, who's playing where, who's pitching, who's hitting, all this different stuff. And now you've got another year. This year's a little bit different. The Reds had a lot of a lot of roster spots remain the same. The Pirates had a lot of turnover, but they still have a ton of talent. A lot of unproven talent, but a lot of talent. In fact, when I think of how the Reds fared against the Pirates, even in just 2020, I don't know that they got key Brian Hayes out. So I'm I'm interested to see how they fare against him this coming year, but who are the main guys that are going to carry this pirates team through 2021? Uh, Key Brian Hayes, obviously. um, But his main thing, like you said, the unproven part. Yeah. He did really good in 85 of plate appearances. It's not too many. So I want to see what he can do in 162 games. Colin Moran and Gregory Polanco are going to basically be your two sources of power in the lineup, which was kind of proven on Sunday in the uh, spring training game. Polanco did have a two-run home run as well as Todd Frazier had a home run as well. So Todd Frazier could get in there too, but because the DH isn't universal, he's probably not going to see too much time unless Moran or Hayes gets injured or needs time off. But I would say the guys you need to watch, Brian Reynolds before last year in 2020 didn't hit under 300 at any level of baseball before he like played 2020 he burst on the scene in 2018 as part of the McCutcheon trade when everybody said he was a wasted part of the trade and now look at him he's our starting left fielder uh key Brian Hayes again and biggest question to me still I think key Brian Hayes is a proven good Reynolds is a proven good can Mitch Keller cement himself as the number one pitcher on the Pittsburgh Pirates for the future He's had two of the weirdest years in baseball history for a guy who's played two years. It's just how it is. Like, I mean, one game he looks lights out. The next game he still lights out, but the team doesn't help him. He gets a loss. And then other games he gives up seven runs in one inning. It's just – it's the life of a young pitcher, but can he become consistent, get his stuff going, all that good stuff? Because realistically right now when you look at the five pitchers in their lineup, he's the one that I would say is going to be here in two or three years. I'm not saying that about Stephen Brault, Chad Cool, JT Brubaker, or Will Crow. Yeah. I mean, Will Crow's a new addition, but he's already 26. I'm not I'm not counting on him when he's 29 to be like a part of our rotation when he's still trying to prove himself. Sure. So I mean, it really dwindles down to Brian Reynolds, Key Brian Hayes, Mitch Keller, and then maybe a prospect that comes up, but I don't expect any of them to make an instant impact. But outside of that, Everybody else is kind of just there, if that makes sense. And then Colin Moran could maybe compete for like some award and hitting stats, but I doubt that he does. Where it's interesting, the the differences between the Pirates and the Reds when it comes to the guys who are going to lead each team, the Reds have a lot of guys who aren't necessarily unproven, but they are definitely bounce back candidates because as a team, the Reds hit 212 last season. In fact, Eugenio Suarez, who I was touting the other day on the NL Central roundtable episode that we had, uh, he hit 202. It's not as if he was a proven guy last year. And there's a lot of dudes on this roster that 
we don't really know what we're going to get. We see the back of their baseball card. We understand their talent, like Nicholas Castellanos, Mike, Mike Mostakis, and Joey Votto. But two of those guys, and Moose and Joey, are kind of getting on the other end of their careers as far as the prime goes and things like that. Nicholas Castellanos has never been an on-base guy. He's always a free-swinging, hard-hitting type guy, which he still hit the ball really hard last year. It's just he hit it to gloves. And that didn't really help him too much. So what does he become this year? What did they get out of Shogo? What did they get out of Nick Senzel, who was their promised prospect a couple of years ago? And we've had the same question for the last three years out of Senzel is, will he be healthy enough to make an impact? And what will that impact look like? And we're still asking that at the beginning of 2021. There's lots of talent in the lineup. It's just, it's got to figure out its way back. It feels like it lost its way last year, which like we've mentioned, is a tiny sample size. But over the last couple of years, they haven't been a good run-scoring team. And that's been annoying because they've been a pretty good pitching team. And they still have talent there. They still have Luis Castillo. They still have Sonny Gray. And they've got Tyler Malley, who has made strides each and every year. His ERA plus has risen exponentially each and every year. His uh, FIP has gone down exponentially each and every year. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do this year. I, I think that... Not to say that he's going to slot in as a Cy Young Award candidate, but he's also going to slot in as a guy who could help the Reds win 55% of his starts, which is what Trevor Bauer did last year. So I think overall it's going to be very interesting to see the bounce back from the Reds because they don't necessarily have the the eye for the future that the Pirates have shown with their moves and with everything on their roster coming in to 2021. And I got a question for you. We're kind of pivoting subjects a little bit, but at the beginning of the offseason, there was some turmoil with the general manager and the manager position in Pittsburgh. What does that look like now? And obviously, with, kind of with the moving for the younger roster and a little bit more of a rebuilding feel, what are you looking for specifically from the brand new guy at the head of the table? Okay, so if we're throwing away 2020 uh, Charrington and Derek or Ben Charrington, who's our general manager and Derek Shelton were brought, I believe last off season. Oh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, no, you're good. Trust me. So it's very for forgettable. <laughs> it's very forgettable because I think his first move was moving Starling Marte to Arizona. And that's oh, when he picked yeah. up Brennan Malone and Leo Verpiguero. Um, So again, I don't throw too much stock into 2020 for Derek Shelton. Who's our new manager who came over from the twins He's also been with the Rays organization. You know how I feel about the Rays right now because Chris <laughs> Archer had a tweet today that I didn't really appreciate that I'm just going to leave alone unless it's brought up. But um, Derek Shelton, one thing, especially with Anthony Alford, who's one of our outfielders, I had him on the pod last, like, last week or the week before, he said that Derek Shelton's a no-nonsense guy. Like, just go out there and do your job. And one thing that I've seen that we've been doing in spring training is last year we were one of the worst defensive teams in history. Like, if I can remember, it was very bad. And I saw that, like, the first week that they were there, four out of the five first days that they were there were primarily defensive drills. And guys like O'Neal Cruz in our game on Sunday against Baltimore made three of three putouts. Kyle Moran had two unassisted plays at first base. And then the defense was looking okay in general. So what I understand from what Charrington is trying to do, he has a, a World Series pedigree. Neil Huntington did not have that. I don't care if he won 
uh, executive of the year in 2013 because he made a couple good moves and beat the Reds in the wild card game and then fluked it against St. Louis and then didn't try to build the team any better for the next two years and loses to Bumgarner and Arietta. That's just my rant for today about Neil Huntington. But Charrington has a track record of 2012 and 2013. 2012 was his year where he said, okay, this is like a transition year. 2013, the Boston Red Sox go on with a bunch of ragtags to go win the World Series. So you have to trust some of the stuff that he's doing. And everybody's like, how would you grade this offseason? Me and uh, Gabrielle, who's our social media coordinator, host of Locked on Red Sox, talked about this. I graded our offseason an A+. Yeah, we got worse, but we said at the beginning of the offseason, these guys are available. We want prospects for them for the future. And we got that. And we did that. The only guy left that I said was going to be traded in the offseason is Adam Frazier. After that, I said everybody else was fine. And he's going to probably get traded too when he gets healthy. So for me, Ben Sherrington obviously has a plan. And he came into a crappy situation because, like, obviously the Pirates were in the mix of, oh, let's go trade for Chris Archer because we might make the playoffs. Now it's a full rebuild and he has full reign over it. And I think Derek Shelton knows that as well. And he knows what players Ben Sherrington wants on the field. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that works. And then he also benefits from having the number one pick, which is either going to be Kumar Rocker or Jack, uh, Jack, Jack or Jake later. I can't remember his first name. But um, I, I'm very intrigued to see what happens. Pirates fans just need to be patient with them, which I understand is very difficult because we've watched it, like a terrible product since 2016. But I, I'm just being patient. And I think Charrington knows what he's doing. I know that, uh, what was it? Pittsburgh climbed up the ladder pretty high when it came to farm system rankings with all their moves, didn't they? 26 to 16, I think, on Baseball America. And they said whenever our number one pick comes in, it'll probably go from 16 to like 12 or 13, which I know is probably easily number one in the NL Central. I know every time Pitching Ninja does a gif of Kumar Rocker, I'm like, wow, whoever gets that guy is going to be really happy. Pirates fans are basically mocking him there already. Like, I mean, I've seen so many, like, kind of deals where they're like, yeah, let's go ahead and, like, Photoshop a Pirates jersey on him. Stuff. And when you guys realize his teammate, Jack Later, is pretty good too, right? Like, oh, yeah. and Jaden Hill from LSU is also pretty damn good too. Like, the first-year player draft's not until, what, June? Almost, yeah, so you have oh, all yeah. this time to figure this out. May or June, yeah. I mean, there's still so much time to figure that out. But either way, they can't really go wrong with it. I just hope it's not a Garrett Cole situation where they draft a pitcher number one overall. He does well for three years and then they trade him away to the New York Yankees. Right. Kind of tired of being the butt of that joke, honestly. Oh, you're just building the Yankees uh, MLB team in two years. I'm like, yep, pretty much. No, I, I, I hear that totally. And, and I had set up the manager thing, although I was like way uh wrong about which offseason they came in but um because the reds are in a situation where they got a brand new general manager who just got brought up he was promoted in-house this offseason and it pretty much seems like he was given the mandate to cut payroll and that was pretty much all he got to do and then they've got a manager who is in his final year of his contract and i think if you were to ask 10 reds fans what they thought about david bell you'd get 10 different answers and it's not as if any one of them is right or wrong because the jury is completely out on him. And, and really, 
the only thing a manager can do to win over the fans is win games. And he's not really done a ton of that. So we'll see what happens here in 2021. If he's still around, there's also Derek Johnson who's waiting in the wings. There's some grumblings that uh, it might be like a Brian price situation. Like whenever dusty Baker was not extended a contract offer at the end of his contract, they brought Brian price up. They might do that with Derek Johnson too, hopefully with much better results. Uh, We'll see what all that entails. Hopefully it's a moot point by the end of the season. And we're talking about a, a contract extension as far as, as how I feel about David Bell over the past couple of years, it's been interesting because he's made some moves that make you scratch your head. He loves, he loves, 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 loves the double switch. And I, it's so, I don't know. It's something. Um, and, and it's not as if you have 26 guys on this roster that need to get as many at bats as possible, but he treats it that way. And it's a little bit annoying because you see guys who obviously need to get into a rhythm who are not allowed to because, well, they're platoony. Well, we're playing the matchups. Well, this guy, he hits better against this type of pitcher. So we're going to put him in here. Hashtag Christian Cologne. So it's like, I I don't know what to think of him. And if he's going to sit here and do all this tinkering like he did over the last two years, he, I'm not saying he's going to be the reason that they don't make the playoffs, but he could very well be in that conversation. So it's, it's kind of interesting to look at the dude at the head of the team who you don't know what you feel about him. And you've had two years to evaluate him. And seeing what the future is, I'm not really sure how the Reds are going to approach that. If the if it's another year like 2020 where they either barely make the playoffs or they have like a 82 win season and miss the playoffs altogether, because then you're you're really not telling me that uh, David Bell did his job. Yeah, and I mean, I always love when fans like are like, "Oh, they had a winning record. That's a good year." I'm like, not necessarily. <laughs> Right. If it's not 84 or 85, I don't count it as like a really good year, in my opinion. That's just how I, that's like, that's my threshold. Like to me, my threshold of being bad is like, if you go 75 and how many losses would that be? Oh God. Making myself do math. Seven games under 75 and 87, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Like that's like, okay. You were competitive cool but if you're like 64 98 like we probably will be you weren't competitive you were just a bad team if you won 83 games and won 83 and 79 you were a sub 500 team in other sports if you go sub 500 like the nfl or the nba they're making fun of you as a laughing stock in that league right like i mean like but in some consideration some fans are like oh we won 82 games that's a good year we're moving forward and then your team either goes in two directions you either rebuild like you're supposed to or you sit there and try to do it again and you get stuck in baseball purgatory where you're not making the playoffs, but you're competitive in doing so. Oh yeah. And, and and you have a case where you barely make an expanded playoffs and then you don't score run for 22 innings. So that one hurt too. (laughs) Which is why you were talking about it too, with like how good you guys were like as a pitching team and not hitting wise, your pitchers didn't play bad in that series. Right. Like at all. Like they There's were on Noel. the mound doing what they were supposed to do, but when you go what thirteen innings, I think that one game went, and you lose one zero. Yeah, you can't really blame that on your pitching. Like, 
one guy gives up one run in 13 freaking innings and then like you still lose the game it's like dude come on really well, i can't it, think we can agree though too that seeing the cubs lose to the marlins was probably was the nice. best thing i've ever seen that was nice and, and it's and it's been and shout out to Sean. I love Sean, host of the Locked On Cubs podcast. But it, it's been interesting to see the way that the Cubs have progressed since 2016. Because I really thought we were going to see them just climb the rankings so far as like how the National League looks, but they just haven't been there. Like you, you stack them up at the top of the division, but when you're stacking them up against the Dodgers, when you're stacking them up against the Nationals and the Braves, and and even now with what the Padres have built. I don't think they stack up very well with any of those. I, I don't think anybody in the division stacks up well with the top of the other divisions, but who knows? We'll see. Stranger things have happened. <laughs> now I asked, I saw this funny question the other day too on Twitter that somebody like asked me if you had to build an NL central team, like mm-hmm. it was just like all the best players from the NL central, would that team beat the Dodgers in a seven game series? It's a fair question. Because you you would have to build a pretty full rotation. You Which, def- if, you're, if you're throwing in this rotation, it does not include a Pirates player. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I, I would probably – Castillo probably gets in there for you guys. Yeah. Kyle Hurts from Chicago definitely gets in there. Flaherty from the uh, Cardinals definitely gets in there. Yep. You definitely have Devin Williams from the Brewers in your bullpen. You definitely have to have him there somewhere. But that fifth spot gets really shaky. Yeah. Well, and um But it is a seven game series, so do you really need that fifth pitcher? That's one of, yeah, that's one of those two. It's like probably four is where your sweet spot is for a seven game series anyway, because you're gonna be getting into your bullpen a lot. There's some interesting long guys in there, and and maybe you can take a couple of starters from different teams and turn them into long men. Um, I'm also looking at the lineup, and I think it's pretty solid. Like, you'll have a pretty solid middle of the order mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, you have Chris Bryant. Uh, there's definitely going to be Goldschmidt. Bryant might not play third base because it's probably going to be Arenado. Yeah, Arenado uh, would play third, which then begs the question, do you pick Chris Bryant or Javier Baez? That's true. Because then, yeah, well, because Javi would probably play second, wouldn't he? Mm-hmm. And then you'd pro- you could have Colton, Logan, uh, Colton Wong in there somewhere as well. Colton Wong. Well, would you pick uh, Colton Wong or Keston Hira? Probably Colton Wong still, if he's playing second, because I know they want to move him to first, which I'm just kind of like still iffy about. Yeah. (laughs) If you're choosing between a second baseman, I still say Wong, but that's just because I don't know what Keston Hierro is going to do this year, because now we're kind of going into more NL Central stuff. The outfield, though, would be kind of weird. Like the outfield for the NL Central would be very interesting. Like obviously you have Christian Yelich in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. But outside of those two, I mean, or outside of him, what are the other two spots? It's kind of a toss-up. I mean, because then you're looking at an aging Lorenzo Kane. Um, the guy with the best batting stance in baseball in Aristides Aquino. <laughs> the best I, batting stance in all of baseball. Let's talk about him for a minute. I know this is going to change subjects a little bit, but uh, 
he is an interesting guy because right now he's probably the fifth outfielder on the Reds and the fifth outfielder on the Reds may not make the opening day roster and he's out of options. He's not a guy that they can send down without putting on waivers. And I think the moment he gets put on waivers, he's going to get claimed by somebody because he's got that talent. He just doesn't have, he doesn't have the ability to get in. He doesn't have the, the, the playing time of it availability. That's what I'm looking at there. So I'm thinking, I look at it like this. He's the perfect pirate outfielder. He's cost controlled for the next couple of years. He, you guys can give him the amount of at bats he needs to develop and hell. I mean, shooting balls into the river there and PNC, that'd be pretty. He's primarily a right fielder though. Correct. Yeah. Hey, I mean, he could play all three spots. Center field, not as great as the corner outfield spots, but you can definitely play the corners. Because this is where now I get into the Gregory Polanco conundrum. Yeah. Because the thing is, he's in a contract year, but, I mean, Char- or not Charrington, Shelton already said going into spring training, Reynolds and Polanco are going to man two of my outfield spots. Mm. So, yeah, I would love to have Aquino on our team because, yes, he fits the ballpark perfectly with the way he hits the baseball. But it's, again, the same problem as if you're going to just start Polanco, what at-bats is he going to get when he's also going to be fighting with Brian Reynolds, Brian Goodwin, Anthony Alford, and Dustin Fowler now in the outfield? Because I'm going to not lie to you, a Reynolds, Dustin Fowler, and now that I'm saying it, Aristides Aquino outfield, for the next three years, if all those guys improve, does not sound terrible in any form or fashion at all. And and I really want to see him flourish. And I don't think he's got the ability to do that with the guys ahead of him in Cincinnati. So I'd love it if he went to Pittsburgh and flourish because he is a super talented dude. And honestly, if somebody can just get into his mind that he does not have to swing at the low and away slider that he swings at 99% of the time and he misses 110% of the time, then he would be a much better, much more well-rounded hitter because every single pitcher knows you throw a breaking ball low and away, he's going to chase it and he's going to miss it. And you're going to get out of whatever jam that you're facing whenever he steps into the box. But I think you get rid of that because he clobbers the balls that he come in contact with. I, I, I love what I see from him, but he's so frustrating to the point that I don't know that he's going to get that chance to prove that he can be a good major leaguer in Cincinnati. Yeah. And I mean, for me too, is like, he pales a lot of comparisons to Polanco as well. Like, I mean, just the way they hit and the way they play, they pale a lot of comparisons to each other and he's cheaper by a long shot. Don't yeah. forget that terrible Polanco extension we gave him a couple of years ago. That's This is his last year for which I've said that he's going to probably be gone after this year, hopefully. Um, but we'll see how that goes. I mean, that would be awesome, though. Like, I would love to have him here. He, a lot of players I'd love to have in Pittsburgh. <laughs> I play MLB 20, the show, all the time. So it was funny. The reason I brought him up is because in the same offseason, I brought Aquino and Francisco Lindor to the Pirates and didn't make any more moves. Just let all the prospects build themselves up, and I won the World Series in 2025, I think. Nice. So that would be and, nice. And, and he's got a great arm, too, so he's not a defensive liability at all. And he's got those long legs, so he doesn't have to be super fast, although he's pretty athletic enough to be fast. So I 
I, I would be interested to see that. I know most Reds fans, and, and, and there would still be a part of me that would be sad to see him go to a division rival, but looking at from the lens of I want to see him get the get the best chance he can, I, I think that would I think that would fit the bill. All right. So let's talk about this. Division expectations. How do you think it all falls? Because pretty much everybody is saying, and I don't think anybody's wrong in this, that the four horses at the top are probably within five games of each other, maybe six. And obviously the pirates are going to have a huge thing to say about that. So what do you, how do you see it unfolding? I will say this, and this is kind of a bold prediction that I've been keeping to myself. Everybody keeps saying we're going to win 60, maybe even 50 games. I think we're going to win 70 to 75. Okay. Just because of the fact that the division is like that, that those four teams are going to like beat up on each other so much. And then they're going to be like, Oh, okay. We got to play the pirates. Let's just go sweep the series. And then we knock them out two out of three. And that's two extra wins that we have. But if you had to ask me who's going to win the division right now, I would still, I would, I'm going to lean against St. Louis just because of the Mm -hmm. pure star power that they have at the top, which is what I think would change the race a little bit. But I'm not going to say that one team is going to like fly away with it. Like I've seen some people say there's going to be that one team that's going to have like, 87 or 88 wins and then the other three are going to have like 82 to 85 or like even 80 at that point or like mlb.com the loser winner of the division is going to have a losing record yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the the cardinals are going to win the division guys at 79 and 83 and everybody else <laughs> is going to be 78 and whatever and then the pirates will have 60 wins but either way i mean if i had to put an order on it i would probably put st louis one Chicago and Cincinnati, probably a game apart, depending like so either second or third, maybe playing each other in a wild card. But the only problem is, is I like that everybody says, oh, maybe two of these teams can make the wild card. No, there's going to be the division winner. And that's all it's going to make the playoffs, because you have to keep in mind the Dodgers and the Padres play in the same division. One of those teams is going to be a wild card. And then you have another division that's actually paling a lot of comparisons to our division this year because they're expecting the Marlins to take a step back in the NL East with the Phillies, Mets, uh, Nationals, and Braves. One of those teams is going to probably get a wild card after winning the division, which is going to set up a very fun NL East versus NL Central matchup, whoever wins that in the division round, because I think the Dodgers get the number one overall like seeding this year. Yeah. But I would lean towards St. Louis for now. I'd say Cincinnati, too, just because I think they could beat out the Cubs purely on pitching because Kyle Hendricks is really the only, like, stud pitcher there now with the Darvish trade. And then I think the Brewers are, like, two games behind Cincinnati and Chicago, and then there's us. But that's how I would see it shaping out for now. Obviously, injuries happen surprises happen stuff like that so it'll be interesting to look at i think it's intriguing because i definitely agree with you about st louis i think there's just something about them and with them getting nolan arenado it just reminded me of the weird like not the not the cardinal way because we're not talking about tony Larusa, but there's just something about the cardinals that they're never out of it and i think for that reason which is lazy analysis but with the guys they got in the middle of that lineup i think they win the division and then two i i honestly i think i see the brewers and i know that there's a lot of books a lot of sports books and things like that that have the brewers uh 
pretty close with the Cardinals as far as at least over under and wins and things like that. And there's something about their bullpen. Once you get past like the sixth inning and if the Brewers got a lead, you are in trouble. You, mm-hmm. You're going to have to find some kind of weird voodoo magic to hit a ball that Devin Williams throws, especially if he's throwing that insane changeup. And then whatever else they got coming out of the bullpen because they're pretty talented there. So I think Brewers two, I'd say Reds three, uh, Cubs four, because I think that there's something that happens. I think the Cubs underperform uh, to a point early in the season that it, it spooks them enough that they make a trade or two that kind of hurts them, kind of depletes their talent. So I think that they finish in the fourth spot. And I, I, I'm with you. I, I think there's a lot of disrespect for the Pirates. I think that there's a lot of people looking at them like they don't, they're a quadruple A team or something like that. I don't think they win 50 games. I, I'd probably say somewhere between 68 and 73 for me. Which that would be a good year for us too. Cause I mean, 68 yeah. and 94 would be awesome. Cause I mean, 19 and 41, I think equated to like a 43 and 100 and some odd number loss season in a full game year last year when we went 19 and 41. And I mean, I wish we, you would have let me know this because I could have like simmed the whole season on MLB the show real quick with the updated <laughs> rosters and see what happened. More yeah. than likely, like the freaking Brewers would have went 105 and like whatever <laughs> odd number and like won right. the World Series. But I mean, the, it's really fun when you're in a division like this for my standpoint, because I'm not going to be the one stressing about it. I'm just going to be like, <laughs> oh, this is fun. Like just watching this all happen. Uh, there is a bold prediction I have about the Cubs. And I think people really don't take much stock into that report that Chris Bryant got a text that he was traded to the Mets in the offseason, mm-hmm. and it didn't turn out to be true. But like you said, let's say the Braves are up three games at the trade deadline on the Mets in the NL in the or the NL East, and the Cubs are like sub 500 or like barely over 500, but they're behind like Cincinnati, Milwaukee, and the Cardinals. Who's to say Chris Bryant doesn't get traded to the Mets anyway if the Cubs are out of it? Like, I mean, or not out of it per se, but like they don't think they can do it. That's something that I would be watching all year. Oh, yeah. Is like just to like, I mean, because the Mets, like obviously the Mets with the way that everything they did, they want to win this year. That's like very air apparent. And there's plenty of guys on that Cubs team. And there's plenty of guys on all four of these teams that could fit over there in New York. I mean, like there's just a plethora of different names. Like if Milwaukee's under 500 or at 500, they could trade any kind of guy over there. Josh Hader could go right. to New York to help them out. I mean, there's all both, both teams are like that. Even the Padres could do something again. If they think they're, Oh, we could beat the Dodgers out in the division and avoid a dreaded wild card game. Like that could, there's a bunch of different things. So I think that's, what's going to happen is it's going to be very weird is it's going to be four teams up until the trade deadline, and then one or two are going to dump out of that race, and then the end of the season is going to be two. Now, obviously, we don't know who those two teams are going to be on either side, but, I mean, the only thing I'm hoping that doesn't happen is the Pirates, like, in, like, May or June are somehow sub-500 and try to, like, make a trade or something, thinking we can fight with these four teams, and then we end up being under 500. Just please don't do that to me. Just just lose. <laughs> Start the season like four and thirteen. And then if you want to win some games, go ahead. But like just don't do this thing where you start 15 and 14 and all of a sudden you think you can compete because you're 15 and 14 in a 162 game season. 
Like no that, that's so. one, And I hated it. I hated yeah. that. I keep bringing it up, but I hated that Chris Archer trade the moment I saw it. Because even Austin Meadows, Austin Meadows was the part of it that I was mad about. Glasnow was never going to do anything. <laughs> like he just wasn't going to. Yeah. But Meadows was a pure right fielding hitter. You could have got rid of Polanco. He would have been done. You would have had a Brian Reynolds, Austin Meadows, even if you wanted to keep Polanco, Polanco outfield right now with not losing anything, with everything that you have now, like Dustin Fowler, Brandon Goodwin, um, Anthony Alford, Jared Oliver, Travis Swaggerty. You'd have all these guys, including Austin Meadows. So that's what I'm hoping for you guys, too, is, like, I just hope you guys, like, if you're going to contend, contend. If you're going to lose, lose. Yeah. Don't put yourself in purgatory. If anybody's going to do that, let it be Chicago. <laughs> no, and, and man, I, I'm with you. I remember Dan Samborski writing a tweet out that was just like, you've got all these teams that are spending money. You've got all these teams that are shedding talent to add young prospects and things like that. And then you've got the Reds, who are neither trying to win nor trying to lose and are unsure as to what they are. So hopefully the Reds will know themselves uh, before the end of the game. Before we, uh, before we break, before we uh, take off uh, for this podcast, I wanted to talk, what are you most looking forward to once you get back to the ballpark? Because I'm a huge ballpark food guy like i i've got a couple of things that i always try to get to whenever i get to the ballpark i always try to get some fry box i always try to get me a beer try to get me some cheese conies or something like that so when you get back to pnc park what are you most looking forward for now i don't know if that'll be this year because i do not live in pittsburgh sadly so mm. that'll be kind of hard but if i do get to go i mean you can't beat permanis i'm sorry nobody's beating the idea good. of fries and italian uh dressing based coleslaw on any kind of sandwich like you're just not beating it but one one food place that i always and we talked about this on the nl central pod that everybody forgets about is manny sanguian has his own barbecue in center field nice. the great manny sanguian who played all these years in pittsburgh for the family and everything literally has smoke coming over the center field wall, the big center field wall, because he's smoking up some barbecue. And then I forgot the guy's name now, but there's like another Italian place that's opening in PNC this year that's named after a Hall of Famer, and I can't remember who he is now all of a sudden. But they have a bunch of good stuff. But one of the things that I always miss, because I've done it, I think, a handful of times now in PNC, is walking across the Clemente Bridge and just seeing PNC Park again and having the idea that I get to go in that place and watch a baseball game. So if I do get to go to Pittsburgh this year, yes, I am finding any possible way, even if I have to sit in the damn river and just listen to the crack of a baseball in PNC, I'll, I'll do it. Like, I don't even care. But, like, in general, food-wise, you can't beat Strip District Pittsburgh either, like the original Perrani Brothers location the all-you-can-eat seats up in the upper deck with, like, unlimited hot dogs, hamburgers. If you get a wristband, I think whenever I went a couple of years ago, obviously I wasn't legal to drink, but you could get, like, I think it's a $30 wristband and you get unlimited beer until the fifth inning. Ooh. Yeah, I was, like, $30 and you get unlimited beer until the fifth inning. I said, damn, that's a beer tower. Challenge um, accepted. Oh, yeah. But, um, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things that I know people in Pittsburgh definitely, like, they don't – Pittsburgh's weird with the Pirates because we acknowledge them like well I acknowledge them more but more casual fans are kind of like 
it's more of an excuse to go do something fun on a weekend in the summertime because there's not really anything else on. Hockey and football aren't playing and stuff like that. I think people are excited, though, to just have the idea of being back in a stadium and watching a game. And I know they're doing it in spring training right now, too. It's not really the same. But, I mean, that was one thing they talked about on the Pirates broadcast on Sunday whenever they had their opener is throughout 2020, you had no fans. The game just felt different. Even that little amount of fans made the broadcaster say their job was easier because they didn't feel like they had to be as emotional the entirety of the entire broadcast. Right. So I think that's what people are looking for, and especially with PNC. It's just such a beautiful ballpark. It just kind of sucks that the team has never really been like ridiculously great to play enough games, playoff games there and stuff like that. But I think people are looking forward to it. I, I agree. I saw somebody wrote um, going to a baseball game without fans is like a pint glass without any beer. It just yeah. makes no sense. So it's there. Everyone's looking forward to that. And you know, I can vouch for the Pramani bros. I took a road trip up there, uh, obviously not last year, but two years ago to see the reds and pirates play and got me a Pramani bros uh, sandwich. And I was surprised because I thought, okay, well, they're putting the fries on the sandwich. So I got everything right here, but then they like dumped more fries in my basket. And I'm like, okay, well, this is, this is all I need right here. This is good. I don't have to get any more food because this is going to fill me up for the rest of the time. I might want to take a nap in between who knows if they score any runs. So, uh, I I didn't, but it it was really good. (laughs) Where did you sit? I was sitting, I was about 20, 22 rows behind home play a little bit toward the first base side. Okay, it's not too bad. I always usually choose right field, like actually just okay. sitting in the big right field wall. It's usually pretty nice. I've sat in right field, left field, first base side, and then where's the other one? Um, far, far left field, like literally like bleacher seats, like almost right on the field, and then right center. Nice. I usually stray away from third base. I'm just kind of like, eh, I don't need all that. Like there's too much yeah. going on over there. Oh yeah, too much. I, I feel you there, but man, I can't wait to get back. I cannot wait to get back to the ballpark. So I, I tell you what. So this is going to do it for us here for our division day crossover between oh, the Reds. Calling it division day. Division day. It it sounds really cool. Makes me think of yeah. Star Wars and Empire Day. I don't know why, because I'm always thinking of Star Wars. I don't. Uh, but division day. Reds Pirates, Locked On Reds, Locked On Pirates. You can check out the Locked On Pirates podcast wherever you get your Locked On Reds podcast and vice versa. How do they follow you on Twitter, Ethan? They can follow me at MVP underscore Ethan. I know Lucas said that on our NL Central that it was no underscore. So I don't want you guys to go follow some random guy that has nothing to do with me. So it is an underscore. And the good way to find it is I capitalize each other letter, other like E underscore T, H underscore A, like all that stuff. But also at Locked On Pirates on Twitter. If for some reason you want to see me live tweet a Pirates Reds game whenever we play, which is kind of surprising. I wanted to talk about this that we start our season against the Cubs, the Reds, and the Cubs. So that's going to be very interesting um, in Great America Ballpark, if I may add, which is a I've heard is a very nice ballpark. I've never been, but I want to make a trip up there. But that's how you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm always tweeting some nonsense about something. Always figuring it out. I'm very biased to Great America. And although I've been to a handful of stadiums, I definitely want to hit every single one. But I'm I'm definitely biased about Great America. 
And whenever you come up, hit me up. We'll grab a Coney. Oh, yeah. and, uh, and, and as far as Twitter goes for me, it's Jeff with three F's. Sean actually said Jeff with two F's, which is how you actually spell my name. But for Twitter, I added an F. And uh, Jeff with three F's car and at Locked On Reds as well. So I appreciate everybody downloading and listening. We will continue Division Day next week. We've got some more teams going on, whether it be the Pirates or talking with the Cubs and the Reds, and we'll be talking with the Brewers or the Cardinals or somebody. I don't know. We'll be talking with somebody. We'll preview that a lot more as it gets closer. Yeah. Be fun.